The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. And welcome to Nitro Nights, a WCW Look Back podcast, proudly brought to you by the SJP World Media Network. I am Sai, and joining me again this week is, oh, well, I suppose, another third of our hosting trio. It's our lovely friend, Ranty Ranty Ben. How are you doing? Hi, man. I'm good. I'm the third man. The third man is back again. I passed the initiation. <laughs> That's it, indeed, indeed. The third man, at least, at least it was like you know, something practical and decent, like Hogan, and not you know coming in like Mabel or something like that. That was the rumor. Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to excuse me a little bit this week. I'm a bit croaky. I'm a bit bunged up and so on, but uh, we will power it through. <clears throat> there we go. Started already. It's character uh, building. It is, mate. Building. It is. This week on Nitro Nights, we are looking at the episode of Nitro that was first broadcast on Monday, the 2nd of December, 1996. Uh, it comes to us live from Dayton, Ohio. And your television ratings that particular Monday evening. Obviously, we had a Nitro win because that's the, you know, win the middle of the whole 83 weeks, etc. They had a 3.4 compared to Monday Night Raw's 2.3. Now, this... Uh, this episode of Nitro, the, the vibe I get is they're really cranking it up for Starcade now. They're mm-hmm. really, you know, and, and it seems that virtually everything they mention in one way or another comes back to Roddy Piper on this show, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah everything. Even if, if, even if, uh, like someone who's in the match has a vague link to Piper or <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a vague link to anything. Oh, see, he's a tough man. Too, he's another tough man. Bradley Roddy Piper. <laughs> yeah. And uh, they're really pushing it. Uh, which is a shame because of how it ends up, but um, it's um, yeah, it's strange. Mm. I, I get what they're doing, it's marketing, isn't it? At the end of the day, but uh, it was uh, hard work to link everything back to Piper, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, Larry Zvisco and Tony Schiavone open the show as normal, and again, we straight away get talk of Starcade, and we're told it's 27 days away, and it's the, the match of the year, the decade, the century, the universe, the highlight of, the highlight of this sport. Well, yeah, there we go. <laughs> um, and the Steiners arrive. We have Rick Steiner looking as Rick Steiner does, and Scott Steiner looking like some kind of backing dancer to a, in a gay bar of some description. So, yeah, so a member of the village people. That's what yeah, it looks like, really, isn't it? yeah. It's an interesting look, isn't it? An interesting look. I mean, he goes. I, he's he's pulling triple leather. Is what mm-hmm. he's pulling with a with a sparkly studded belt. Yeah. <laughs> It's a bit much, but there we go. <laughs> big, big Papa Dominatrix. <laughs> That's a t-shirt right there. Um, <laughs> 
they are pissed off with Sting because of what happened on the previous episode of Nitro. And they just start ranting and shouting a bit about Sting and so on. Uh, and I wonder where that'll lead. Uh, <laughs> Up next, we have our opening contest, which is effectively just a squash match. It's over very, very quickly. We have Glacier arriving. We haven't seen him for a few weeks, so it's quite interesting that he's back all of a sudden. And he is taking on the absolute wrong one that is Hard Body Harrison. And uh, again, it's just a bit of a squash. Glacier throws some martial arts moves, wins the match. Have you seen Glacier before, I imagine? <clears throat> not not in within WCW, no. I, saw, I, I was aware of him. I was aware of the uh, incredible entrance that he has and the yes. effects for that. Uh, I saw him in his sort of one and done he did in uh, AEW. Um, but, yeah, this is my first experience of a Glacier match. And, yeah, it, took, it was a minute. And I like to do my research before these uh, podcasts now. And I wish I hadn't looked into old hot body Harrison or whatever he is. But, mm. Uh, mm, yeah, let's say about mm. that the better. But it was what it was. And it served its purpose for Glacier being a bit of a badass. But it didn't really come to anything with him either did it so no it's a funny one i mean uh, again obviously the, the whole sort of starting point for this pod- podcast was that danny hadn't seen a great deal of of wcw and of course the great thing about you take coming on board as well is you're, you're not familiar um, with all of it either so no. when we were getting through the original vignettes and video packages and <clears throat> the promotion side for glacier danny bought into this 100 percent he was totally invested. He didn't know anything about the guy. He was 100% invested in, in this character. And then he arrived, and you could hear the disappointment in Danny's voice. <laughs> you know, it was one of those moments where my heart went out to the little guy. But, uh, yeah, it's a funny one, because they spent so much money on the guy, didn't they? So yeah, much money. And, but he just, the, the outfit and the, the entrance and all that sort of stuff, and obviously the guy could, could do all the martial arts, and that was pretty spectacular. But when you take away the outfit and just look at him as, as as an individual in the world of pro wrestling, he just kind of looks quite bland, doesn't he? Yeah, it's kind of like a blonde Steve Blackman. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even think of that. <laughs> That's good. Um, <laughs> yeah, there you go. I'm still I'm still on the high from my comparing Jeff Jarrett to Blue Cheese last episode. But um, <laughs> I'm now comparing Glacier to Steve Blackman. <laughs> no, I agree. Yeah, you take the, the gear off him. The entrance was longer than the match yeah uh and yeah you've actually the light show the snow the everything else and you think it just <sighs> a, a worrying shade of things to come for wcw really with that amount of money spent on not a lot yeah yeah 100 percent um hard body harrison is obviously now serving a life sentence uh, for some naughty naughty business but people can go mm. check that out on their own time we're not going to dive into that too much i don't think Hell no. <laughs> um, up next, we get another match pretty much straight away. I mean, there's a, quite a bit of wrestling in the opening of this this show. Yeah. Or, or, or we're teased with quite a bit of wrestling. Obviously, what we get, maybe not exactly what's advertised, but there we go. Uh, the next match is actually a tag team contest, and we have Joe Gomez and the Renegade. And they're taking on the amazing French Canadians, who have Colonel Robert Parker with them. Some, for some reason, I'm not 100% sure. We then get information as well on commentary from Tony Schiavone that Ticketmaster have messed up. There were big queues yeah. for, was it the Starcade tickets they were, they were on about? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they couldn't go on sale that day. And there was like massive queues around the block. <laughs> oh, my word. 
That's one of the most WCW things I've heard. <laughs> That's the way of saying, yeah, yeah, well, we haven't quite sold enough tickets, so yeah. Well, yeah, we'll just blame them. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Um, obviously, the amazing French Canadians are uh, formerly known as the Quebecers in the WWF. Um, so some pedigree and, and, and some sort of uh, level of experience there. Joe Gomez and the Renegade, however, this is 1996, well, the end of 1996. And I look at mm. both of these guys, and, and they're, they're body guys, obviously, and they've got, you know, the hair and so on. And I think if this was 1986, they'd have been over mm. as hell. They'd have been loved. Mm. But there just wasn't... Here, yeah, they just weren't... I just don't think they were very good. Well, I think uh, Renegade... Sorry. Renegade <laughs> as... Uh, like a low budget warrior, yeah, wasn't it earlier on? And he got a bit buried and lost in everything in the shuffle and is relegated to tag teaming. I mean, I'm not saying they were good, they were good, they seemed to be good workers, they worked well as a team. Um, but yeah, it was just nothing. And you know, yeah, mm. I, I agree with you that if it was 10 years earlier, they'd probably be all right. He, I mean, I was gonna say if they were on Raw instead of Nitro. With some of the tag teams they had then, maybe they'd have fitted in with like in the aftermath of like the gang warfare and stuff like that. Mm. But possibly, but you know, I agree. If it was an '86 tag team, they would have absolutely smashed it, been up there yeah. with the rockers and rock and roll and everybody else. Yeah, I mean, as a tag team, these two have very much been thrown together here as well because they've literally got nothing else to do. Is kind of the reason behind <laughs> yeah. it, basically. So, and obviously, the Renegade's an incredibly sad tale. He, he took his own life at a very, very yeah. young age. Really, really sad stuff. But uh, there we go. Um, I mean, for what it was, relatively short match. I suppose it wasn't. You know, it's a TV match, isn't it? Let's let's call it what it is. Uh, we got some yeah. good moments. We get um, when the Renegade makes his hot tag at one point. Uh, there's some pretty cool looking power slams and so on. Um, the pile driver that leads to the finish is quite cool as well. There's some good moments in there. What did you think of this? Yeah, I liked it. And it's 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 hard to believe that old uh, PCO is still going. Yes. <laughs> he's still going. Well, every reason now, the French Frankenstein, he's still going. <laughs> and uh, I, mean, I, I remember them uh, when they were the Quebecers. And even when after they left WCW, went back to WWF. Um, Jacques Rougeau is a bit of a polarizing sort of figure from mm. the Mountie days, and but again, it served its purpose. And what Robert Parker is doing with them, I don't really know, but I suppose it made sense from a sort of point of view. Um, but it was a decent enough match, it served its purpose. It was, it, it wasn't just a random, we're not going to do anything. This gave it a decent chunk of time about well, five minutes that's good for a TV match. and it went from there, yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Um, what follows, though, is, to me, so far, in the early parts of this episode of Nitro, the best thing we've had yet, because Aaron's on telly, and I bloody love a bit of Aaron. Uh, he's talking with Ming Jin, who, funnily enough, doesn't shell the hotline for probably the first time in, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it seems like that phone number comes out of his gob every six minutes. But um, yeah. there, there's talk of Piper. Uh, Arn Anderson is so believable in everything he does. It, I genuinely believe that Arn Anderson, the man, is Arn Anderson, the wrestler, and everything else on this TV show may be predetermined, sports entertainment, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I believe Arn Anderson is and always has been real in everything he does. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I one of the things I want to raise from this this whole episode of Night Show is that 
Rick Steiner takes up three segments of this show. Yeah. And doesn't, in two of them, doesn't achieve an awful lot. But Arn Anderson also takes up three segments of this show. And I think he, he absolutely smashes it in every single bit he's in. Mm. Uh, but we'll get to the other two later on. But even here, his promo was on point. He said about, you know, smashing the NWO, backing up Piper, that next week's Flair country. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, it was brilliant. A little bit, I suppose, let down potentially by the crowd again. Because the NWO, we're in that scenario where the NWO are just so cool. Even though they're Mm. booked as the heels. And Arn is supposed to be representing WCW. And the the, the story is they want people to be cheering for WCW, of course, at this point. But they're chanting openly for the NWO over the top of Arn's babyface promo. Which... In the, in modern day wrestling, when you get that sort of dueling chant of you know let's go Cena, Cena sucks, and all the Lesnar stuff we've had in the past, and the Rain stuff, and so on, it it it, it would work. But here in '96, it was a little bit unusual, I think. It was, but the the other issue you've got to remember is with the crowd sort of indifference is that the, on last week's show, Arn came off the match with Luger, which had a bit of a lumpy finish, and in that match he was basically the heel. Yeah, that's true. So the crowd are probably thinking, I, I get it that he's a horseman, uh, but the NWO are pretty cool. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, the indifference uh, yeah, lost the impact of the promo, but what he was saying absolutely hit home. So, yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Um, this is followed by another tag match. We're getting lots and lots of wrestlers to paycheck on this episode of Nitro, aren't we? And you say about a tag team being thrown together. Oh, my <laughs> word. Oh, dear me. Dear me. I was so angry last week about this bloke, and now he's back. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's Ben's favourite, Scotty Riggs. And he is, <laughs> he is tagging randomly with Robert Gibson of Rock and Roll Express fame. And they're taking on the faces yeah. of fear. Now, Gibson's even in a Rock and Roll Express shirt as he comes to the ring. Ricky Morton, at this point yeah. in his career, I believe, was working out in Japan. He hadn't come to terms on a new contract with WCW. Um I was going to ask where Ricky Morton was, because I'm sure they were bidden on previously. Yes, they had, yes. But he was was over in Japan at this point, I think. I'd have to double-check that, but I'm fairly certain he was in Japan. Uh, This is is a weird one for me, because I love the Rock and Roll Express. But here in very late 96, Gibson... I mean, they were never body guys, the Rock and Roll Express, don't get me wrong. And their whole gimmick and their outfits and everything was very 80s, of course. But here, Gibson looks so out of place to me, even next to Scotty Riggs and so on. He looks so out of place on this episode of Nitro, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. But it's amazing that Gibson still looks out of place next to, let's face it, two faces of the 80s in Barbarian yeah. and Meng. I didn't even <laughs> think of that. Yeah, you're right. No, but you, he, is a, he does um, stick out like a bit of a sore thumb. The match itself was fine. I mean... Yeah. The problem I have is the three matches we've had so far, is it really enough to stop switching over to Raw? Because this well, is the contested hour. Hour one is the contested hour. And you've got Glacier. Yeah, okay. Mm. <laughs> you've got the first tag match with the French Canadians, and now this one. Is it enough to stop turning up to? I don't know what the card was for Raw on that night. I'm not going to test it. Well, I? I'm having a little look now as you talk. I'm just going to bring it up and have a little look. Normally, I, I have 
I will vamp. I will vamp while Sai's looking, if you like. <laughs> <laughs> Normally, I do have this to hand, but I'm not at the moment. Uh, okay, the but episode I'll, of Monday Night. I would still War. say the, the 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 yeah the Dungeon of Doom music is still horrific. I hate. Oh, it. yeah, it, it's crap. It's absolute crap. And you um, hear it. You hear about it seven times this episode. <laughs> oh yeah, it's like every time I think they've gone away. Or I'll tell you what it is with the Dungeon of Doom as well that really bothers me. And it's my own personal thing. I forget yeah. they exist sometimes. I get so invested <laughs> in the NWO, so invested yeah. in the Sting stuff. Aaron's cutting his promo, and I'm thinking this is gold. And I totally forget the Dungeon of Doom exists. And then the music hits, and I have that same level yeah. of ultimate disappointment over and over and over again because I'm not prepared for them to come out. Yeah, they're kind of like a bad fart that's been let go into a sofa, and you think the smell has gone. And you think, <laughs> but then you sit on the sofa again and it goes, oh, no. oh, there's that fart again. This is why oh. I'm here. This is why I'm the third man. Like <laughs> <laughs> comparisons like this. Uh, okay, Monday Night Raw, uh, opposing this episode of Nitro on the 2nd of December 1996. We have Flash Funk defeating the Goon. Diesel <laughs> defeating Phineas Godwin in three minutes. Um, Justin Hawk Bradshaw defeating Jesse James. And in your main event, we have Jake the Snake Roberts in December of 96, by the way. Jake the Snake Roberts and Mark Miro defeating Billy Gunn and Hunter Hearst Helmsley in a little over 11 minutes. So whereas we say this episode of Nitro probably isn't enough to stop you turning over so far, I think you come back pretty quick, don't you? Yeah. What a main event that is. Wow. (laughs) Unbelievable. Uh, um, there's some good, again, good moments in this. We, we see a nice power driver by Mang on Riggs uh, for Gibson yep. to make the save. And I like that because at that moment, I thought I thought that's not going to be the finish. I thought Riggs was going to kick out at two and I was going to come on here and be really pissed off because people were kicking out of power drivers because we're dropping fuckers yeah. on their heads. They should not be kicking out at two. But no, Gibson made yeah. the save, so it's okay. Um, <laughs> when Gibson finally makes the hot tag... There's little to no reaction, which is a real shame. Um, yeah. And the finish does kind of come out of nowhere after this, doesn't it? With a big boot by the Barbarian. And then we get a little bit of afters with a chair and stuff, Ben, don't we? Yeah. And, and I don't know what that is to achieve. Is it just to, the fact that Riggs is pissed off about Backwell turning on him? I don't know. Is he just getting the aggression out? Again, it just seems it, very strange, very odd. It's giving him a bit of character, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah, which is fine in my book. If, if it's, but again, it's without seeing future episodes, obviously at the moment, it's the cloud of are they really going to do something with him? You know, yeah. As I said last week, if more had been done to build up the American Mouse before Bagwell's turn, people would be more invested in Riggs. Mm. Yeah, it's a funny one because they had title reigns in the early days of Nitro, or maybe one tag team title reign. They featured on yeah. a few pay-per-views, but we're talking back in 95 at this point. We're talking, you know, September of 95. So time has passed, and uh, I don't know, they kind of get lost in the shuffle. There's a lot of tag teams in WCW at this point, I think, when you look at it, isn't there? The, I see they've got one yeah. two-hour show. Yeah, no, they, they did get big time. Everything, Everybody from Harlem Heat to... Public Enemy to yeah. rock and roll to French Canadians to the you know the faces of fear they got loads yeah yeah there we go um, we get footage then of the Sullivan and Benoit match from the Baltimore House Show I think it was and I think so. 
I mean, there's some crazy bumping down some concrete steps. It's force count anywhere. There's no rules, and these two are just—it's a wild brawl between Benoit and Sullivan. Um, they they get into the bathroom again, which seems to be a spot they're quite fond of because of how well it went on the on the, the previous event. And the Dungeon of Doom are waiting in there, and they all beat down Benoit. And then Woman tries to make the save, and I might as well dive straight into the whole uh, storyline they're going for because straight after this, Kevin Sullivan wrestles somebody that they don't even name. Uh, and destroy, destroys him in seconds, and then cuts a promo that's a bit vague about Benoit hurting him emotionally, and he then warns Benoit that that sweetness wears off, and it's all vague insider talk references to Sullivan yeah. being married to woman. Woman is traveling with Benoit, but at the moment it's still storyline. They haven't actually became a real couple yet, I don't think. It's all a little bit insider, isn't it? It's all a little bit, and I think the in modern day, if it, if this storyline took place in modern day, it would just be fucking huge because of Twitter and everything like that. But back then, the, the percentage yeah. of wrestling fans who were watch who were reading dirt sheets and so on was incredibly small. So, has this got the danger of potentially being missed by a lot of people? Hundred percent. And you saying this this promo was a bit vague is the understatement of the fucking year. <laughs> I I was I'm slowly starting to glaze over. Well, as I usually do when Kevin Sullivan is talking. Right. Uh, the match was ridiculous, but I, I agree. This is in the very early days of the internet. Let's face it. And I know that Bischoff and later Vince Russo were absolutely obsessed with things on the internet and insider scoops. And yeah, no one, not everyone read dirt sheets. You're no. right. Not everyone's going to do it. People, certain, well, certain demographics that they're being aimed at, particularly in WWF, were reading like the WWF magazines and things like that, who've got, who, they're not going to want to know the inside scoops of storylines. They're going to know what, <laughs> they're going to want to know what Aldo Montoya have for breakfast. <laughs> the line about all oh, that sweetness wears off as well was a bit cringy, wasn't it? It was a bit, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're pushing the boundaries, but and it's it's the fact it does end up being a real thing as well, which is mm. equally weird. Awkward. Yeah, and of course how it ends up as oh yeah, it's just watching yeah, back. We won't now, go on that either. Oh, dear me. Um, what follows is a cruiserweight match between the cruiserweight champion Dean Malenko, who is one of the top performers of 1996. This guy is mm. incredible at this point in his career, <laughs> and he is taking on an 11-year-old Billy Kidman. And (laughs) Kidman has arrived fresh from his paper round. Uh, He's finished his homework (laughs) and his mum has made him some lovely wrestling gear at home to wear. And yeah, well done. Well done, Mrs. Kidman. Well, well crocheted. That that was lovely. And uh, I I really enjoyed this. I thought this was great. I did too. Yeah. Yeah. I I did. It was, I I always was a fan of Kidman before he had his, um, heroin problem um <laughs> and, and if, uh but yeah i mean melanco is just a different class really, isn't he? Isn't he? yeah yeah uh but we get some nice full nelson exchanges back and forth early on um on the outside there's a power bomb by d melanco which looked vicious as hell sunny ono turns up taking more pictures again the irritating little shite uh then there's a brain buster hit and this was just I thought he'd killed him. I thought he was dead. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> oh, my God. Unbelievable. Uh, Kidman even busts out a, a fisherman or, or, or a perfect plex, doesn't he? Which is a bit of a surprise for a two count. 
And then we get a bit more talk about Roddy Piper because obviously we haven't mentioned him for at least 90 seconds, so he needs to bring it up once more. Um, Kidman gets caught up top, hit with a superplex. Dean Malenko then goes to the top. Ono flashes the camera. He falls and Kidman tries the shooting star press, but Malenko gets his knees up, gets applies the cloverleaf for the win and so on. Yeah, I mean, the Sonny Ono stuff's irritating, but obviously they're building towards something at the pay-per-view, so I appreciate where they're, yeah, they're, they're okay. trying to... Yeah, yeah, at least, least, yeah, at least they're trying to do something on the weekly TV to build towards it, I suppose, but it's a bit irritating when you've got a match as good as this, and then you've got bloody Sonny Ono hanging about just being a knob. Yeah, but again, it, there's a purpose to that, and what he was there for a reason, so it's not like it was just a random <laughs> yeah a random thing yeah like i remember didn't wwf do something in the 80s with a flash bulb and a fireball type thing as well oh, similar um, sort of angles. king of the ring 1993 yoko zuna yeah and it was harvey whippleman dressed as a photographer and, ah, yes yeah badger yeah yeah and I've just, looked, I, the belt. I've just looked at something so we'll probably get to this eventually at the end sort of when we get towards the end of 96 but the um pwi Top 500 of 96. Where was Dean Malenko rated? 96. Okay, Brett missed a big portion of 96, so he's not going to be out there, is he? Sean was the main guy on the other channel, but wasn't hugely popular. So I'll tell you, Sean was one. Oh, okay. Okay, well, Dean Malenko must be two or three then, I would imagine. There can't be that many people above him. This is going to make you angry then. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) Dean Malenko... 13. I'll get to fuck. 13. Uh, do, you, do you want to know the top five? Go on then. So Sean was one. Yeah. The Giant was two. What? The Giant was two. This is hatred. It, when Daddy listens to this, his hatred of Melts is going to get even worse. <laughs> <laughs> For someone who didn't really wrestle an awful lot in 96, Sting was three. Sting spent the majority of the year hanging around in the balcony. In the rafters, yeah. Yeah. Well, you wait till we get to five. Four, Kenta Kobashi. But five, Ahmed Johnson. Above, oh. I suppose this is the, this is the Pro Wrestling Illustrated, isn't it? Top 500. Yeah. Okay, I suppose. Kevin Nash, Kevin, yeah, Kevin Nash was six, Rey Mysterio was seven, and Hogan was eight. Okay. I suppose with that publication... It's not done on in-ring ability alone. It's done on exposure, how much they're on the television, uh, and so on. It's not just about in-ring ability, yeah, I suppose. So I, yeah. yeah, so, okay. But still, fuck off. Um, yeah. <laughs> Brett, um, Brett was lower than Malenko. Brett was 16, just so you know. Well, yeah, but he was off filming Lonesome Dove or, you know, so, <laughs> Solo Falcon or, you know, Lonely Pigeon or whatever it was called. Cal- Calgary Pheasant, yeah. Yeah, know. Calgary Pheasant. <laughs> oh, I really wish that was a TV show. Like, I'd watch that. Canadian um, Kestrel. Yeah, that'd be beautiful. <laughs> uh, uh, we get our little countdown for hour two. And yep. just to make sure that the viewers who are turning over to check out hour two of Nitro stay with this program, we are treated to a absolute 1984 style classic from Jeff Jarrett and Big Bubba. Dear me, this is very 80s, isn't it? Okay, so it is very 80s, particularly when Jimmy Hart's involved. I didn't mind the match. 
I thought it was fine. I didn't mind the finish. The finish was good. Yes. How, I like however, as I said at the start, I like to do my research into these sort of episodes, and I found out that this exact same match happened about three or four weeks ago. Right. Yeah. The exact same finish. Yeah. Oh of, yeah. Of of hitting him with the megaphone and drop kicking the megaphone into Bubba's face. Exact same finish done four or five weeks apart. Mm. And that annoyed me. Looking at it from a first point time point of view, which I was when I watched this episode, I liked the match. Yeah. I thought it was good. This is someone who doesn't particularly like Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> right. Okay. But, um, uh, it was decent enough. And yeah, the, the finish worked well. Standard sort of heel thing. Jimmy threw the megaphone to... Bubba, Jeff drop kicked it in his face. It was, it worked. And yeah, then I, looking back on it and people saying, looking at reviews and things like that, and they said, oh, this is the same finish they did a month ago. See, it's like, been oh. that long. It, obviously, the show was like on a, on a bit of a break for a while, we, we, yeah. you know, getting a few issues sorted and so on. It's been that long since I would have seen that. I completely forgot until you mentioned it that that happened. Yeah. Again, this is one, the third man. <laughs> there we go. There we go. <laughs> um, we get a little bit of nonsense here on commentary. Bobby Heenan and Mike Tanay arrive, because it's our two, of course. And Heenan yeah. tries to say that Piper versus Hogan at Starcade feels bigger than the WrestleMania 3 main event between oh, Hogan yeah. and Andre. And I've just got in my notes here, I love Heenan, but he can fuck off right now. Yeah, and I have a feeling he might have been a bit pissed, because... Right at the start, Mike Tanay and Bobby Heenan are talking, and then Tony Schiavone appears, and Heenan says, oh, where'd you come from? <laughs> it's like he snuck <laughs> up on him. <laughs> and oh. I thought, I don't know if he's been... I, I love Heenan, but yeah, you're right. Yeah. He's obviously been fed that line by Bischoff or whoever. And uh, yeah, it was... It, he, yeah, that can get the fuck. Yeah, not a good look. Not a good look. Um there's a lot of missed punches and missed clotheslines, lots of stalling at the beginning. As, as me and Ben have said, it's, it's very 80s feel to this match. Um, Bubba takes control and is his usual big heel self using his weight and power. Uh, Jimmy Hart's interfering left, right and centre. And then we get the whole spot that we, we touched upon with the megaphone. Um, Bubba misses using it. The refs with Jimmy Hart and Jarrett drop kicks the megaphone into Bubba's face for the win. And again, the finish, class. The match mm. itself... It was all right. Mm. It was functional. It was. I, I suppose we've had a good bit of cruiserweight wrestling. We've had some tag wrestling. This is uh, ticking the box for people who like a certain style. That's oh, all several eighties. Yeah, that's that kind of style as well. So, yeah. Um, after this, though, we get another segment with the Steiners, and they are in the ring calling for Sting. So straight away, the crowd are all going crazy, looking behind them, trying to see if Sting is actually there. He is. He is stood up in the rafters. And Steiner's challenge Sting to a fight. And Sting says yes. So, uh, and rightfully so, Tony Schiavone on commentary is building this up as being a huge deal later in the show. Because Sting hasn't wrestled for so long. It's a big, big deal that this is going to happen. I'm sat there watching this thinking, now I know that Sting doesn't have a match yet. So how do they work this out? And I was really curious because I couldn't remember first time around or even, even if I'd seen it before in the first place. So I was very curious. What did you think about this segment here and, and what was happening with Sting? Brilliant. Brilliant. This particular... But my, 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 as I sort of alluded to earlier, it didn't need the opening segment. No. It didn't need the one right at the start where Rick and Scott interrupt Zabisco and uh, Shivani. 
it, it didn't need it. Because even at that point, at the beginning of the show, they're saying, oh, well, Rick Steiner's challenged Sting. And I thought, did he? I didn't hear that. Mm. I just heard them moaning about Sting, about what he did the previous week. But them coming out and then challenging Sting, that made sense. It didn't need the initial segment. It was too, too much of a transphobic prick. But um, Yes. And a member of the village people. <laughs> <laughs> Which is ironic, really, considering... <laughs> but, yeah. But the uh, yeah yeah I know that um, but yeah the reaction when Sting appeared and then did he, did, he didn't even say, he still didn't say anything he just nodded didn't he and the pop the pop for the nod that's a weird sentence to say yeah. was um was really good yeah yeah it's great I'm loving everything Sting's doing at this point it is just class. Uh, we get an NWO T-shirt ad up next and I, I don't know how many times I see these it just tickles me. When they start saying it's twenty dollars for one, or you can buy two for forty dollars, it's like, yeah, it's just nonsense, yeah. but it's brilliant. Or, or, or the, and the end line is something. Oh, you could buy a million if you like. It'll only be twenty million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's Kevin Nash who just goes buy the shirt at the end. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, this is followed by the NWO actually arriving, and we have Bischoff, Hall, Nash, Vincent, and Six. Uh, they walk down to the ring, and Bischoff's high five in the crowd, and uh, they're just smarmy shitty heels but in such a cool way that you can't help but in, enjoy what they're doing well for me anyway mm. yeah i love it i love it and uh it, it was just so different to how the product had been presented before but it's when they're halfway down the ramp and they do their little u-turn i think uh, it, this for me was one of the highlights of the night i've never seen heenan run at such speed yes <laughs> Yeah, he um he got gripped up by Pillman, didn't he, at one point, before the NWO yeah. thing started. And this is yeah. after, one of the main reasons he went to WCW is because they offered health insurance, because he would be an employee rather than a, a contracted whatever. <clears throat> Excuse me. So because of his neck, he, he that's why he went to WCW, one of the main reasons anyway. And he always just publicly said, the NWO come over to the table, we don't know what they're going to do, no one tells us, I am leaving. And that yeah. was, he, he told this to Bischoff. Bischoff wanted him to stay so they could go back and forth on the microphone sometimes. Mm. But he was like, no chance. I'm gone. I, I'm out of here. Mm. No chance. To, I'm not having those crazy bastards touch me. So, yeah, he is gone. And he's, he's been on the show, what, eight minutes at this point? It wasn't long. Yeah. But that's his, that's his evening done, isn't it? That's his night done. He can go back to the bar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> um we basically get the NWO on commentary for the rest of the episode now. Uh, they are welcoming Sting into their fold, saying, right, it's great to have Sting on the NWO side. They're putting over Hogan, tell Piper he's in danger. Um, and then they talk about, and I, this is very clever. This is very clever. They then start talking about people that Hogan has beaten up, including Vader, who is relatively prominent on the other channel at this point. Mm. So they're basically crushing the opposition without directly crushing the opposition. I thought that was very cleverly done. Yeah. Yeah. And even from when they first come on the, the mic and Bischoff immediately goes, I'm back. Yes. <laughs> you missed. I thought that is such a prick thing to say. He's just a bastard, <laughs> but he's brilliant at being yeah. a bastard, isn't he? Uh, um, the next match, however, is... Well, it features Dave Taylor, and I, I, whereas I respect Taylor as an in-ring competitor, he's he's he's, he's obviously got a bit about him because he's, he's always had work and he, he wrestles in a certain style. When you've had the Steiners calling out Sting, 
Mm-hmm. And then you've had the NWO advert, and then the NWO arriving, and the funny stuff they're doing on commentary. And the next thing you see is Dave Taylor coming to the ring. That to me is quite a quite a juddering sort of halt in the proceedings to what we were watching. It's like a complete change in direction. Yeah, agreed. But then it's sort of then talked over by the fact of the NWO are on a scouting mission. Yes, and they—they, they, I think, I think, I think it's Scott Hall that comes out of the line saying, "Oh well, we need, we need a good Englishman, <laughs> so we have, <laughs> have a look at this guy, see what he's like, you know, sort of thing." Yeah, yeah. Uh, his opponent is Eddie Guerrero, and uh, you know the NWO stays on commentary for the rest of the show. Now, um, there's not much heat here. I think the NWO is in the arena. The NWO is a distraction, but also mm. at home. As much as I loved them being on commentary, it was it was fantastic. I enjoyed listening to they they cracked me up all the way through the show. They it did, did distract yeah. me. Yeah, it did distract me from certain matches because I was just trying to listen to what they were saying and make notes about what they were saying rather than the wrestling itself. Which is fine because if that if that's what's getting you viewers, then yeah. it, it it all works all the same way, doesn't it? The end product is the same. You're still getting what you want. But it was a little bit of a distraction initially from, from the matches. Did you find that or did you or was it not so much? I, I did. I did, but it, it, I did find it sort of ended up linking into other stuff as well because they were talking about uh, the Taylor Eddie match, but they linked it into the US tournament and they were yes. linking it into the giant having the belt, which again made sense. There was a little thing, I think in our one, they were saying about the executive, executive committee had power over title changes. Eric Bischoff didn't control that, and mm. Bischoff was talking about that on commentary as well. So while it was a distraction, uh, I, I think it did all right. I was okay with it. Mm. Yeah. I could still follow what was happening in the match as well as some of the crazy stuff they were saying on commentary. Yeah. <laughs> um, the uh, We get an ad break here, and it's the NWO music that plays us in and out of the ad break, which I thought was a nice little touch. That was great, because then I was saying this is NWO Nitro. Uh Eddie Guerrero ultimately wins with a frog splash. It's decent enough, but again, like I said, the NWO on commentary was kind of the highlight for me. And then we get liar, liar Lee Marshall, who says he's in Charlotte, but he's obviously bloody not. He's backstage with a microphone, the same as normal. And he has a little bit of back and forth with Eric Bischoff, because he's cross with Bischoff about joining the NWO. And Lee Marshall tries his best to sound super tough and fails miserably. Yeah, and he came... <laughs> there's another thing that another line from Scott Hall that Lee Marshall tries to say the next week they're in Charlotte obviously Flair country and Flair and Piper stepping into Charlotte against Flair and Piper it's like seeing the Beatles in Liverpool yeah to which Scott Hall says what old and dated genius <laughs> <laughs> genius I loved it um, but yeah yeah Lee Marshall yeah mm. we can do yeah, there you go. He's always at a nitro party as well, isn't he? It's like it's a bit weird. This this guy with a porn star mustache is in someone's house <laughs> watching nitro with them. It's like, come on, mate. Um yeah. I also like the line from Scott Hall. I don't know if it's here, I think it may well be, where they're talking about um like you said, the Beatles line uh, and so on. And they say about you going to Charlotte, he's, he, the NWO should be scared and all that. And Scott Hall's response is, scared of going to Charlotte? I don't think so. I'm even going down a day early. <laughs> 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 he was so good, wasn't he? Paul? He just yeah. 
held the whole thing together. Uh, <laughs> well, I suppose we get a bit more of that as well, don't we? In in the next match, we have uh, Arn Anderson versus Jim Paris as our next contest, and. Mm-hmm. Jim Paris is accompanied to the ring by Teddy Long, who is described as the robust Teddy Long by um, <laughs> <laughs> the NWO on commentary because he's not the uh, much thinner Teddy Long that we see in later years. Um, and Scott Hall then starts talking about announcers in WCW running their mouth and says that fat, dusty roads. <laughs> and has a dig at Larry Zabisco as well. Um, yeah, which Zabisco said about earlier on, he said they were talking about there was an ad for PlayStation or something. And uh, Shivani was having a go at uh, Larry. He said, oh, don't you play video games, Larry? And Larry goes, no, I play golf. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and even on commentary then, Scott Hall goes, yeah, it's a bisco. He should just stick to golf, Larry. Come on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, this is um, uh, quite a slow burn, but it does lead somewhere interesting. So it's it's really you know, really interesting for me uh, hearing these initial just little lines back and forth with Shivani involved saying to Zabisco about not defending him. And it's just little throwaway stuff now, but it obviously it builds to something in the future. So it's really intriguing for me seeing how early this started. Um, Arn Anderson works the shoulder and in typical Arn Anderson fashion, he's, he's wrestling like a real wrestler. He picks a body part and, and, and wears it down. Uh, on commentary, we get more talk of Sting being our Sting. They are saying quotation marks from the NWO. Yeah. Um, Arn wins with an amazing-looking DDT. I love Arn Anderson's DDT. It's so good. Uh, it's a short match, but it, it, it's Arn Anderson, so to me, it's pretty good. Longer than the previous match. Longer than Taylor versus uh, Eddie. Okay. Not by much, but it was longer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, yeah, I've written down here as well that um, they they try to... The NWO also is saying they're trying to get Flair on board for the uh, NWO. And at the end of the match, Scott Hall says, um, Arn can play on my team. Mm. So they're, they're, they're obviously trying to sucker everyone up. Yeah, <laughs> there's exactly. many people in. And it's the, the um, there's still mentions, isn't there, about the, the, the 30-odd days they gave last, last Nitro. Uh, I think it's the end of December, isn't it, where it's a case of you can switch your contract over, but by that point, if you're not with us, you're against us, was the line by Bischoff. So they're very much on yeah. a recruitment drive, aren't they? Well, the thir- I was I was trying to work it out. The thirty days ends at Starcade. Ah, okay. Yeah. So, okay. I, I think uh, someone will probably call me out for my shocking maths there, but I think it's all the it's the nitro after Starcade, yeah, something like that. But uh, yeah, they're pushing for that definitely. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, up next, we have Chris Benoit against William Regal. Stephen Regal, apologies. And this is in the US title tournament. And this is class. I loved everything about this. Counter to counter to counter. Um, there's a bit of blood early on. Regal gets busted open. Uh, we see an awesome tombstone by Benoit. Um, yeah. so, so much going on. It's just, uh, I, I don't want to sit here and break it down move by move by move. I mean, by all means, Ben, don't mention any highlights you have. But I encourage people to go and watch this match. Because it's mm-hmm. there's a TV contest. It's a bit of a hidden gem, I think. Well, let's face it. You've got Chris Benoit. You've got Regal. On any sheet of paper, you put those two names in a wrestling match together, you know it's going to be good. Yes. You've got two of the very best technicians probably ever. Um, the, the the blood kind of spoiled it in a weird way for me because the camera pans way out. Yes. Yeah, it's a restriction they have on, the, on the, that network, isn't it? I understood why, but uh, yeah. it was a case of going... What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, but and the the commentary then also alludes back to the like the Sullivan storyline and the the clip that we saw earlier because Bischoff says that Benoit won't get, go near a men's room anymore, and Scott Hall comes up, but that's okay because he's got the bladder of a gladiator. <laughs> It's a weird way of putting somebody over, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He doesn't need to ever go to the toilet. Yeah, praising his ability to hold on to his piss. That... <laughs> That's world champion material. Um, yeah, this is this is a great match. I, I strongly advise people to, if you're checking anything out from this episode of Nitro, that's in ring as opposed to the Sting and NWO stuff. This this is the match to have a look at. I think. Uh, eventually, you know, Benoit does win with a, a suplex with a bridge and so on, and we get Gene, Mongo, and Arn Anderson all together on the ramp. Benoit then joins them. Arn again, Deborah. Let's and don't Deborah. forget Deborah. Yes. Arn Anderson uh, is class again. He talks about the four horsemen um, having Piper's back in Charlotte. Starts questioning where woman is. Benoit tries to defend her. Um, Deborah comes out and starts ranting on about how much Nancy, a cause Nancy, likes yeah. Chris and so on. I can appreciate what they're trying to do, but it was all a bit, a little bit clunky for me. It did what it needed to do, I think, but it was a bit clunky. Oh, I Yeah, Deborah moaning about Nancy's choice in perfume that she sprays it all the time because Chris loves it. Chris yeah. loves it. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Pass on that. <laughs> Yes, um, yeah, dissension in the horseman potentially around what's going on with Nancy and so on, which I think is an odd one as well, just the premise of it, because they've been feuding on and off with the Dungeon of Doom for as long as Nitro Nights has been running, as long as we've been watching Nitro for this, the, the horseman and the Dungeon of Doom have been battling back and forth. Mm. Screwing up the leader of the Dungeon of Doom by effectively stealing his lady is a real horseman thing to do. So why is Aaron against it? I don't get it. I've, unless he sees woman as part of the enemy, like it's a double okay. agent type situation going on, you know, mm. that's because of playing up Sullivan's mind games and stuff like that and saying, oh, he's sending her over there to break up the horseman and turn Benoit right. against him. I mean, I know it's not how it ended up, but again, I'm fantasy booking in my head. Here, yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Um, So I I could probably understand why Arn is tentative in the storyline, let's say, and how it affects, obviously, they then announced that Flair's going to be back the following week, so they'll make some sort of horseman presence. Mm. Yeah. Oh, indeed. Um, A presence I could have done without, I'm not going to lie, is the first time we've seen Public Enemy on our television for a little while. I'm not a massive fan of these guys. It was okay... Going back a few weeks, they were having a series of matches before, um, uh, I believe it was Rocker Rock, who actually takes part in this match in a singles contest. I believe it was him yep. who was injured. Um, but before the injury, they were having a series of matches with the Nasty Boys. I think the uh, Faces of Fear were involved as well. And they were all just wild brawls with chairs and tables and so on. When I'd seen one or two of them, that was okay. When they got into like doing six or seven over the course of a few months, it was a bit much. I was sick of them. When they returned here, I didn't get that. Oh, you've been away. That oh, I'm glad you're back. I just got the feeling of oh no, not again. You know, you what are your thoughts on Public Enemy? Do you know much about them? I I know the ECW side of it. 
Um, I think they certainly suited ECW as a promotion, as a product. It, it, the WCW run is is a grey area for me. This is right. the first time I've seen them in w, WCW. I obviously know their ill-fated WWF run and getting the shit beat out of them by um, the APA. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew about that, but oh yeah, they were again. It was it was tag team filler. It was just boring tag team filler. It was there. There were another reason why American males didn't do very well. I've just been vamping. It's okay. I've been talking about how <laughs> um, how uh, public enemy are just tag team filler, and another reason why the American yes. males never got over. <laughs> right. I had to let one of my uh, stupid cats out the bedroom. I didn't realise I'd shut them in here. But there we go. <laughs> I could have told you that because I saw it in the background about. Oh, did you? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, I'm not a massive public enemy fan at this point, um, but they're taking on. Well, they he Rocker Rock is taking on Lex Luger. Um, to be one of the biggest baby faces in WCW at that time. Yeah, 100%. He is yeah. massively over. As, as a, yeah. On the WCW side, he, we know what his role is. He's WCW. He's you know wondering what's going on with Sting. He's anti-NWO. It's very clear what Luger's role is. And I think that really helps with regards to the crowd reaction and helps Luger uh, work in a certain way to emphasize that role because you, you look at other people we don't know what's going on with sting yet you, yeah. you've got other, you've got other baby faces the horsemen are a perfect example one minute they're baby faces next minute they're getting their heels the end of the world getting cheers and so on but luger we know exactly where he stands don't we we do and this but the, again bear in mind last week was the first episode of night tribe watched properly ever okay luger luger looked like a chump in the yes. match against arn and I didn't get how why a top babyface would be promoted that way. But the way he came out in this match, with the help of the commentary putting him over and trying to recruit him and whatever else, and then the way he took out Rocco Rock was—I mean, he's, he's, he was a—he was a big dude, mm. Rocco Rock—and he got him up in the torture rack. Yeah, and it was a huge reaction. And that—that that was a for me that was a better promotion of Luger than last week. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Uh, the rack itself, then, I'm not sure if we touched upon this previously. It's it's a move that I find splits people's opinion. Some people hate it, whereas I'm, I'm of the mindset of I think it looks great, especially when he applies it on it. We've seen him put it on the wall, who is a massive man. We've seen him apply it to uh, the guy who played the mummy, though the Yeti, sorry. Um, at Halloween Havoc yeah. that one year. I think he goes into WWF at some point. And is he Kurgan in WWF, maybe? I'm not sure. I could be no, getting my Giants be, confused. Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. Uh, and obviously he's applied the rack to the Giant as well. It's it's an incredible sight. It really is. Mm. I love the rack. What are your thoughts on that move? I think, I think yeah, it's visually, it's amazing. Yes. It, it, particularly when they just do a big guy. Absolutely. Um, it's one of those moves that as much as I like you know, the general sort of leg submissions, let's say, when you have people doing a version of a Boston Crab, for instance, so you've got seven people using that particular move, but they've termed something else, be it the Lion Tamer, be it a normal Boston Crab, whatever. Yeah. Or you have Lance Storm doing a single leg crab, you know. It's just that you need to do something a bit different. The, the torture rack, you can't really 
I think there's another one like an Argentine something or ever that's the other way round, but you can't do many modifications from it, so it just no. looks effective. Um, so no, I'm I am pro the torture rack. Good, I'm glad to hear it. Um, the crowd are very pro Sting as well. We're getting we want Sting chance throughout this Luger match, which yep. is interesting as well. Um, the Luger Sting relationship is what well, has been very prominent mm-hmm. on WWE television going into this. Um, yeah, Luger wins with the rack. Decent enough match for what it was. It's good to see Luger on TV. It's good to see that he's still popular with the crowd and uh, you know where we're going to be heading with Luger very soon. So all that is good stuff. But then it brings us to our, I suppose, our main event. Rick Steiner mm-hmm. versus Sting. Mm-hmm. Um, Sting, when he's coming down, gets a ridiculous reaction from the fans. This guy, without doing anything, is just so over, isn't he? They love him. Yeah, yeah. Why wouldn't you? It's, it's yeah. so well put together as a character. Without the mystique of it, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a big deal for him to come down. Yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. For a match. Um, he's got his bat with him, and he throws the bat down on the floor. Turns his back on the Steiners. Uh, again, we we touched upon this uh, last time on Nitro Nights about how he's testing people. And, and I explained about having yeah. the bat and so on. Is this the first time you'd seen that sort of spot? Uh, he, yeah, I'd only ever I'd seen uh, the, the highlights of um, World War Three when it was something sort of similar. And uh, but yeah, the actual spot. I, I, yeah, it, it boils down to one word: that is trust, isn't it? Steve's yes. Looking to show, get the any of the roster to trust him in terms of that by offering him this chance. Mm. And I thought it was a. Well, the segment was well put together in the fact that Rick was going to hit him with yeah. that, and Scott and Scott stopped him. Yeah, and like, that's, again, it's just little layers to this. The NWO story is 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 great on its own. I, I think the Sting story at the moment is a is linked to NWO, obviously, but it's almost like its own thing at the moment as well. Where he's yeah. like, like like you brilliantly put, then he's finding out who he can trust and who he can't. But then you've got little layers below that, Scott and Rick now. Are they on the same page? Are they, mm. you know, because Scott stopped Rick. It's, again, just another little layer to it. It's not just, uh, to coin a phrase, I suppose, used previously, it's not just good guys versus bad guys at this point. There's so many different yeah. shades of grey in between that makes this whole Sting, NWO, Crow character just absolutely fascinating. Agree. I can't disagree with that at all. Right. <laughs> um, we get a scorpion death drop, which I love. I know it's just a, another old variation of a DDT, but I love that move. Um, yeah. Scott stops Rick attacking, and Sting just walks out, and he's going down the entranceway, which is unusual in itself. Gets so far down the aisle, and then points the bat at the NWO, and just that one motion and pointing the bat at them when they're on commentary again it's just the crowd just popped for it it's it's amazing and sting then goes back through the crowd after so he's literally walked the aisle way what looks like just the point at the nwo to turn around and go back through the crowd mm. so good and that's just the end of the show they just mm. go off air there I, I, yeah. how did you think this whole segment went fine i mean you, you're never given the result of the match i mean you can only assume that Officially, Rick won by count out. <laughs> I assume. Oh yeah, I didn't think of that. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, brilliant. 
brilliant. They're just it was the emphasis was put really well on it, and it it it. It almost alludes to the fact: Is he pointing the back of the NWO saying he's joining them? Is he pointing because mm. he's coming for him? Is it keeps people hanging? And that was a good TV type cliffhanger end. Yes, indeed. Mm. Uh, it makes me well. I say it make it make it would make me want to tune in again next week. I'll be perfectly honest with you. I straight away watched the next episode of Nitro because I was hooked. So that's kind of right. you know it, it did its job for me. Basically, here in 2024, <laughs> I, I can't imagine mm. how how much people were hooked in 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 1996. But there we go. Uh, yeah, so that's the end of that the that episode of Nitro. There, um, we need to rate it now. Give us give our final summaries and our um, woos and our oh brothers, our good points and our low points of the show. Woo! Brother, 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 brothers, brother. Woo! Brother, do you want to go uh, first or second, mate? I will go first this okay. time um, because I have a feeling that our woo moment might be the same. <laughs> so okay, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get in first. I will go for, and no, I'll go for my old brother first. My old brother moment. Um, I'm all up for blurring the lines of of uh, kayfabe, if you like, and and just real life and whatever. But a combination of Kevin Sullivan's promo. Uh-huh. And Deborah, oh, <laughs> I just, right. I, 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 I'll go with that. De- I think I'll go with Deborah because it, it, it wasn't in line with anything else that was being said at that point. It made, it was just, and it was just the pitch of the voice as well. It was going through my head. I couldn't concentrate. Yeah. And then she goes, nah, Chris loves it. I thought, grating. That's a good word, grating. And mm. um, yeah, so that is definitely my old brother. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, mine is, and I hate saying this, I really do, it's such a shame, but mine was Robert Gibson. Uh, if they wanted to have Riggs wrestle a tag match, lose a tag match, and then try and get a little bit of fire at the end of a chair, you could have found him any... The, the roster is massive at this point in WCW. I appreciate that you know Gibson's employed and so on, but he just looks so out of place with the timing of when he came out and the NWO and the stings and all this sort of stuff. And it's a real shame because this guy is an absolute legend in the business. One of the greatest tag teams of all time in the, in the rock and roll express. It's just a real shame that here in the end of 96, he's through no fault of his own. I don't think he just looks so out of place. That that was a shame for me. Yeah. They could have had anyone on that roster. Yeah. There'd be, as you say, there was be at least sort of 40 or 50 other people they could have chosen from, mm. but yeah. um yeah, no, agreed on that one. Agreed. Um, so we move to a woo moment then. Yes. Now I've got two to pick from, and I've sort of umming and ahhing about which one to go. But um, I, uh, I've got to pick Arn. I think Arn, Arn Anderson, general performance on the episode, his mannerisms, his promo, promos, I should say. Yep. It just, all right, it didn't resonate with the audience as well as it probably should have done, but it was so on point. And when you're in a world, as we've said previously, with promos from people like Piper and Hogan that go on and on and on and ramble mm. and don't hit the face at all, Arn was succinct and he said exactly what needed to be said to help the story. And he's just a pro in the end. His match with Powers so, was so typically Arn. It's got to be on, yeah. 
I am in complete agreeance. Um, on my shortlist was the NWO on commentary, or more primarily Scott yeah. Hall on commentary, because he just cracked me up. Yeah, all the so he was so funny. <laughs> yeah. um, the Sting stuff at the end was also on my list, because I'm loving everything Sting does at the moment. But yeah, Arn Anderson is just the man, isn't he? Good little yeah. match, fantastic promos, worked really well. I, I loved it. So I'm in complete agreeance with you there. My woo is the same as yours. And I will put on my on the list the Regal Benoit match. Oh yes, absolutely spot on. Yeah, but uh, no, yeah, Arn Anderson definitely. Okay, so to sum up then, uh, our final ratings for this particular episode of Nitro, what are we giving it? Hit, miss, or middling? So, like I said, when I was talking about the the Jarrett uh, Bubba match, uh, overall I thought it was a hit. Okay, I, I did think it was a hit. But then looking back on it in my with my 2024 head on and with some of the sort of dodgy promos and the, the, the finish that have been done and Ear Gibson, I, I'm going to demote it to a middling. I didn't think it was bad, but it did, had enough on it to keep me invested. So it yeah. was, I'm going to go middling on, on this one. OK, it, for me, it just sneaks into hit territory. Mm. It's, you know, it's like. Yeah. If if you know if if it was a numerical rating and you know giving it a middle was like a five or six and then a hit would be like eight nine ten it's about seven and a half eight it just sneaks in to being a hit territory yeah I so I'd go from sort of six and a half to seven that's where I yeah. go on that right yeah it's so. the the good stuff was bloody brilliant it was really good Arn Sting the NWO that stuff was fantastic the stuff that wasn't so good was quite jarring because it was up there in comparison to what was good. But I suppose you've got a two-hour TV show, a big roster, lots of storylines going on. You're going to get that different. You can't have two hours of the NWO and think it's going to be okay because people get bored of it, as we may well find out very soon. But, um, <laughs> yeah, for me, it just just sneaks into hit territory. But there we go. I'm intrigued to see your thoughts about next week's Nitro as well, and I, because uh, we're in Charlotte, we're in Flair country, we're in Horseman country. Mm-hmm. And Piper is here as well. So yes, going to be interesting. Uh, before we depart today, though, do you want to let everyone know whereabouts they can find your good self online and all the content you're involved in, please? Certainly can. You can find me on Twitter at Largely Speaking. And you can find my beautiful, beautiful podcast at Rantomeisters on all your social media networks, including TikTok, which I've started putting some ridiculous videos on now so um, <laughs> yeah that's available on all the usual networks at Rantomeisters awesome stuff uh, anything I'm involved in is uh, by the network that carries this show that's at SJP War Media on Facebook Twitter Instagram and all that stuff and all your podcast players platforms and providers but most importantly you can find and follow this show itself on Facebook and Twitter that's at Nitro underscore Nights at Nitro underscore Nights Oh, loving this, mate. Can't wait to dive into the next Nitro with you. Bring on. Awesome stuff. I'll speak to you next week, my friend. And to everyone else, as always, thank you for listening. You're next! <laughs>